So, um, yeah. So now he's saying he would go ahead and sell me the fridge, too, which would be nice because I don't like that fridge. It's too big for that spot. It I like is. You look like, like, I don't like that fridge. You did the, like, up and down <laughs> look. Like, you're going to fight it. You're going to fight it, Leanna? Well, I don't like it. It's. I mean, it's like they just bought a fridge and shoved it in there. <laughs> Welcome back to Wayward Fans, the supernatural podcast. Why I'm are Shannon. you so unsure of that? <laughs> Is that what I normally say? Yes. <laughs> I couldn't remember if I say a Wayward Fans, a supernatural podcast, or if I just say Wayward Fans. No, you always say a supernatural <laughs> podcast. Oh my god. Anyways, that's Shannon, and I'm Leanna. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have taken that break. Um, is that your neighbor's house? Yes. Is that their wall? Yes. For some reason, I thought you had a wall separating you from no, the neighbor. Okay. It's their house. Anyway, sorry. I'll go ahead and edit that part. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> anyway. All right. So, so let's try that intro <laughs> over again. <laughs> you don't want to keep that? Oh, okay. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Anyways. So we're here to... No, that's your part. What are we talking about today? So today we're going to be talking about uh, Time After Time and the Slice Girls, the 12th and 13th episode of season seven. Um, but before we do that, I do want to say we got an email. Yay! Yay! I love it when we get emails. Me too. This is from Hayden. It says, hey girls, I love the podcast. I tried to leave an iTunes review a month ago. I'm not sure if it worked, but I hope it did. Because your banter keeps me entertained all the way to work and back. I also enjoyed your exploration of Sam's experience while being possessed by Lucifer. I had only considered Sam's feelings of anger and frustration about not being able to take control. I loved the layer you added about Sam finally feeling complete for the first time in his life. Like finding out his soulmate is a serial killer. (laughs) Really awesome stuff. (laughs) Really brought a new emotional level to a character who I thought couldn't get anymore. So thanks for that. However, (laughs) it's always a good way to start the next paragraph. I thought you should know that Bobby does not drive a Mustang. It is, in fact, a 1971 Chevy Chevelle. It has the SS symbol on the front used by Chevy to mark their more sporty performance cars instead of the typical bow tie. You can see a similar car in the movie Talladega Nights. I also consulted the wiki to double check. (laughs) Anyway, keep it up. I need to hear what you have to say about seasons 11 and 12, so please don't stop making this podcast. Ever. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Um, Settle down. (laughs) And then, uh, P.S., I really want to go to a convention, but I don't have anyone to go with me. Should I still try to go? Will I find people to hang out with? Thanks. Um, Okay. Well, first of all, we're not going to stop. No, we did. We did take a break recently, as you are probably well aware, um, <laughs> and that might happen again in the next year. Who knows? Right. But um, you know, it, it, it. We did turn our hobby into a job. Not that we don't love doing this, but we do need to, to, to take a minute sometimes. Right. Um, so don't worry, we'll keep going. We will. Um, and uh, second, thank you. For pointing out that car, you think that that's something that we probably would have known. At least me, since that's my job of <laughs> right? the whole, like, 
<laughs> knowing all the little intricacies of the the guys and the behind the scenes stuff. So thank you. Thanks I, for clearing I, that up. So I thanks. don't know why I just assumed it was a Mustang. We both did. So <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so um, and third. You can absolutely go to a convention by yourself. We met so many people. It was so easy. People were extremely approachable. People of the Supernatural family. Um, And I'm pretty sure we ran into quite a few people who were were there by themselves. Yeah. And for the most part, I think the Supernatural family is is very open and... And welcoming. Yes. Yeah. It was... And I mean, we made a lot of friends there. Um, You know, and it was just really... Like Shannon said, it's really easy to meet people to you're standing in line next to people a lot yeah you are just waiting <laughs> so, in line for a while and especially if you do them. any kind of photo ops right you're standing in line with a bunch of nervous people except for the people you know even the people who have done it multiple times you still see they're just there's like, gonna oh, be a little nerves just, right so it, you have a lot of really easy like ice breaking type conversations happening like yeah so did you get any photo ops who are you gonna do who are you gonna do, your you know, do you have a pose in mind right you, know, you just yeah talk about supernatural and then things keep flowing because most people who watch supernatural like to talk about it so surprisingly yeah Yeah. i don't think you'd ever um have a bad time at supernatural even if you were by yourself i don't think so either especially because a lot of the convention is sitting in the auditorium watching panels right so you're going to be sitting next to somebody and you're mm-hmm. going to sit, and since the seats are assigned, you're going to sit next to them for the entire convention. Yes. Three or four days, depending on what convention you go to. So you'll get to meet at least the the, the immediate surrounding people, people pretty, you know, you'll get to know them pretty well. Yeah. I mean, the people sitting near us were pretty talkative. So yeah. We get to... No, and it, it was a lot of fun. Um, but I do think it would be easy to meet people. I think it would be easy to even plan up to like meet with those people's uh, people's those people like even outside of the convention if you want to go have dinner or get a drink or something right um everybody like Shannon was said is very very friendly um so I don't think that you should not go just because you'd be arriving alone because you're going to be among a bunch of friends right and even another thing you could probably do is if you if you're on Twitter at all is just yes. use the SPN family hashtag or not hashtag they're uh, yeah, the hashtag. The hashtag, yeah. Um, and just say that you're wanting to go to whichever convention. Because they always have a, a hashtag for each convention as well. And just kind of throw it out there that you're going. And if anybody wants to, like, you know, show you the ropes or meet up. Yeah. That kind of thing. And you, you probably get a oh, you will. few bites of yeah. that. Yeah, you will. So, yes. Definitely, definitely make the trip. It absolutely is worth it. So much fun. Yes. You can listen to our episode number 50 and hear all about it. (laughs) You probably already have. Sorry it was so long. (laughs) It was a lot of fun, though. It was. Okay, so Time After Time, episode number 12, was directed by Phil Segria and written by Robbie Thompson. Wow, Phil Segria, really? Mm -hmm. We haven't heard from him in a while. A while. It's been a while. I don't think we've ever seen anything written by Robbie Thompson yet it doesn't ring any bells I know Robbie Thompson though he does a lot of writing for them I think I guess probably starting season seven yeah I mean Um, we've gone through seven seasons of episodes so it's entirely possible that he's come up and I just don't remember (laughs) but I'm not remembering the name no but I follow him on Twitter and he's very funny um 
So we see a man wearing a fedora and a trench coat heading down an alley. Then we cut to the boys across the street. Dean's ready to go in. Sam wants to know the plan. And he learns that the plan is don't die. (laughs) It's a pretty good plan. Dean starts following the dude in the fedora, sees him crouched over a homeless man, and he's like sucking the life out of him and into his chest. Dean runs up to him, not sure what he thinks he's going to do personally, but he runs like full speed, like at the guy all and tackles him. Uh, And then there's an explosion of bright uh, white light, and then they both disappear. It's red light. Is it red light? Yeah. Because that's what... You know, and that's what I was trying to decide as I'm reading my notes, because my notes, for some reason, it says an explosion of right, like (laughs) (laughs) R-I-D-H-T, and white light. So I was like, it's bright white light. (laughs) I wouldn't have changed it or anything, because I don't think the color of the light matters, except that that's what Ness says specifically later. He's like, tell me about that red light. Oh, okay. Yes. No big deal, but I really, I'm glad I pointed it out because we got to hear about your note. What and that's, stupid note. <laughs> it exploded in right light. The right kind of light. Not the wrong kind. Um, or left. Oh, you guys, also, I'm drinking tea, so you're going to hear me slurping. Sorry. Um, title card. Title card. Then we get the two days later. Two weeks earlier. Huh? It says two weeks earlier. I thought it said two days earlier. That is entirely possible with the way my (laughs) notes have been going. (laughs) So two days or two weeks earlier. (laughs) Not sure which. (laughs) Dean is researching Dick Roman and uh, getting nowhere. Jody calls Sam. And she has something that's right up the alley. Body in Canton, Ohio. Local PD is trying to bury the story and the body. A college student went missing. The body turned up completely mummified minus the wrapping. It's the second body to turn up like that in just a couple of weeks. Sam's like, how do you know all this? And she's like, oh, I'm just nosy. <laughs> and she says when she hears something like that, um, that, come, that comes across the wire, it catches her ear. So she usually looks into it since she knows the guys and Bobby. So Sam gets off the phone with her, tells Dean that the sheriff caught them on. Dean feels bad that they didn't didn't get get her her anything. (laughs) (laughs) Then Sam says, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I hope you're watching cartoon smut because reading Dick Roman crap over (laughs) and over again is just self punishment. And then I just love how Dean, like, slowly covers his his laptop. Closes the laptop. And he just looks at him. It's called anime, and it's an art form. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, my God. So the guys get to Canton, and they are squatting in a lovely abandoned home. Yeah. Um, They then Rochambeau for uh, paper, rock, scissors for um, the better room. Because Sam has scouted out the house and tells him that there's a working bathroom and um, two rooms. One's, what does he say it? I don't know. I didn't write it down. Me either. Sam's telling him something like one of the rooms is better than the other, basically. So they Rochambeau for it. And obviously Dean loses because he plays the same thing. 
Um, well, well, actually, no, he doesn't. Right. He's complaining that pa- paper shouldn't be beat be- by a rock. Ro- no, ro- that paper shouldn't beat rock. Right. It's like, that's what it is. How does paper, how does paper beat, beat a rock? rock? Which I've put down in my notes. That is a very good question. Because that is something I've never understood about rock, paper, scissors. Like, paper right. beats rock. Come on. And it means that Sam also changed up his game. Because... And didn't play rock. Right. Right. So that's weird. weird. (laughs) Um, So, so they talked to a waitress uh, that saw, or excuse me, not waitress, a witness that saw Durbin's demise. Durbin was the most recent victim. So Uh, they introduced themselves and they're both Agent Smith, no relation. That just, I'm like, that's even worse than the stupid rock and roll names. Everybody's going to remember the two really gorgeous agents, Smith, who weren't related. Right. Like, come on, you guys. Yeah, that was my next note. So they use the aliases Smith and Smith, no relation. Uh, finally listening to Frank. Because <laughs> remember, he told them yes. they use the Asian. Oh, no, yeah, I know why is... they're doing it. It's just like they're not doing a very good job. No. <laughs> so uh, it seems that a snappy dressed man sucked red energy out of Durbin and made Durbin age before his eyes, turned him into a raisin. So then we see Sam and Dean go back to their abandoned house and do research. Dean can't find anything that would turn a dude into a crypt keeper. Sam has found that Canton is a bit of a hot spot for weird bodies. Sam shows Dean all the articles from the past year, starting with 1928. No real pattern, but the bodies always drop in threes. Dean then takes over the laptop. What, you looking at more anime, or are you strictly into dick now? <laughs> And I love that Sam is very proud of his joke. <laughs> he's he's so stick, proud. He's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Dean pulls up all the local camera feeds. Sam is seriously impressed with how quick Dean did that. A trick he learned from Frank. So Frank taught Dean not only how to hack into like an entire security system, but how to do it very, very quickly. Yes. Like, that was a little ridiculous. <laughs> Dean pulls all the cameras around the gas station where the first body was found, and they see a guy in a, just, in a Justin Timberlake hat, which is what the eyewitness said that the guy was wearing. A fedora is a Justin Timberlake hat? That's Yeah. That's really? what the witness, the this, like, stoner kid. The stoner that they, guy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was like, he was wearing one of those hats, like, you know, a Justin Timberlake hat. And it, it was Sam or Dean, but they're like, a, a fedora? fedora? And he's like, yeah, that. Justin Timberlake wears fedoras. And then they say, look, Justin Timberlake, when they see him on the Right, no, I'm just, is that like a thing? So Justin Timberlake wears Uh, fedoras? Oh, yeah, yeah. He wears those like little, um, the the shorter ones that are like, um, they put, who, what the fucking artist? Um, Oh, my God. Stupid, like Sailor Jerry type tattoo looking stuff on his shirts and hats and jeans um ed something okay. i think anyway i'm gonna have to i cannot believe i'm forgetting the name but they're like the really shrunken looking fedoras and that became all like super oh, popular okay 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 i know which one you're talking about now because okay. i think of i i don't know maybe that is an actual <coughs> fedora because i always thought a fedora had a bigger a wider brim right you know more yeah like dick tracy 
right. kind of hat. Yeah. But the, these fedoras and the one that Justin Timberlake wears are like basically a shrunken down version of that. Right. Like a really short brim. brim. And, like, and but it's the same kind of like, style. Right. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> Do you like my hand <laughs> motions for a fedora? <laughs> Which looks nothing like a fedora. Oh my God. Ed Hardy? Is that? I don't know who you're okay. trying to name. Never mind. I'll, I'll look it up and I'll show and you'll be like, oh yeah. Anyway. I'm not going to know his name though. Uh, but you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, so they see the guy at the gas station and Sam recognizes him from one of the articles he had shown Dean as well. So, uh, before they go, Sam wants Dean to teach him that camera trick. (laughs) So they go to talk to Terry, um, who, who was a local girl that they saw in the article who found one of the like mummified bodies in the park. Um, and she's a doctor now. She still has no idea what could have done that to a body, the body she found when she was a little girl. Um, she does recognize the man, um, that Dean points out in the article saying that he lived on her parents' street. His name was Mr. Snyder. So they go and they stake out the house, um, that we saw them staking out from the opening. They still don't know what it is. Not a vampire since the blood are still in the bodies. Um, and then we basically get the opening scene. Um, but now we get a little bit more. So after Dean tackles him right before they disappear, he sees on the ring there's like an infinity symbol. Uh, and then he comes to, or he gets up in the same alley, and he's chasing the guy out, pulling his gun out. But when he runs out into the street, it's the street of like the 1940s. And there's a bunch of people around and the cops are already there and they immediately (laughs) arrest him. So the officer has him in like an interrogation room and just doesn't believe that he's with the FBI. Wants to know if Dean is a Jerry spy. Dean doesn't understand. (laughs) The officer tells him, you're a terrible one at that. This badge was issued 68 years from now. Ace work, kraut muncher. (laughs) (laughs) Then we get to see Dean counting on his fingers and realizes that he's stuck in 1944. Then another guy comes in. Uh, the officer looks a little bit nervous like the boss just walked in. The guy wearing the trench coat and fedora tells the officer to take a powder. Then asks Dean uh, what happened in the alley and to paint a real picture. So Dean's like, well, fuck it, and tells him the truth. The guy wants to know more about the red light. Dean is surprised that the guy believes him and then puts it together and realizes that he's a hunter just 68 years before him. They introduce themselves to each other. It's Elliot Ness, which stuns Dean. Um, So Elliot Ness, for those of you who don't know, uh, was a real law enforcement officer who joined the U.S. Treasury Department in 1927, working with the Bureau of Prohibition. In Chicago, he was involved in targeting gangster Al Capone. His refusal to accept a bribe, bribe, accept a bribe, led to Ness's team becoming known as the Untouchables. And there's a movie called The Untouchables Untouchables, that Dean talks about a lot in this episode. (laughs) Which is why Dean is very shocked when he hears that it's Elliot Ness that he's sitting across from. Yes. 
We see Sam um, creating a hunter's wall back at the abandoned house. Jody calls to find out that Dean has vanished and she's going to help. Um, we go back to Dean and he's telling Ness, I got to tell you, Untouchables is like one of my favorite movies ever. I must have seen it like 50 times. <clears throat> Ness has no idea what Dean is talking so, about. Sorry. Okay. And I'm going to try really hard to not get really bitchy about the stupid time travel. Um, but Dean is not that stupid. <laughs> To stand there and talk to the actual Elliot Ness about how much he loves the movie The Untouchables. And right. I'm like, Dean, that's just, that's just dumb. Which like, has, like, come out yet. Right. So, let's just, I just want to point that out. That Dean's a lot smarter than that. I appreciate that you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Saying Dean is smarter than that. Um, well, he's not that stupid. <laughs> he's not. He's not. And it's, it is a really silly thing, but I don't know, like. Do they just want to give Dean this? Because he loves, you know, the old westerns and right, the old time right. stuff. And it's like, we get that. But does he have to tell Elliot Ness? Can't he just be like, oh my god, you were in like one of my favorite movies ever. Right. I know you know nothing about it, but this is amazing. Right, exactly. <laughs> Instead of being like, man, you know about this movie. Right, you exactly. I was like, what the, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Um... So, Ness shares files with Dean of the two bodies that have already turned up. Um, They are hunting the same thing, just in different centuries. Uh, Ness wants Dean to accompany him before the bad guy gets the third. (laughs) So, before they're leaving, because he tells them that they're hunting the same thing, Mm -hmm. only this many years apart, uh, Dean goes, awesome. Like, the very sarcastic kind of, not awesome, awesome. Right. (laughs) That's... Did I skip ahead, or is this when it happens? You did skip ahead. Oh, I did. I'm sorry. Oh, wait. Hold on. No, no, no. You didn't. Sorry. I was looking down a little bit further for when he says it to Ezra. And oh, no. This is when he first took... says it. Yeah. Right. Because he tells Elliot, it's awesome. And, <laughs> and he says, how does that fill you with awe? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I did dig how they actually played off of like the differences in slang that you would hear. Yeah, I have a little list of the different slangs. Oh, you do? Of, of nice. what we got to hear anyway. Nice. Um, so. Oh, so as they're leaving, Dean wants to know if that means he's an untouchable now. Yes. <laughs> there you go, Leanna. And he goes, it means we got to get you into some new clothes. You look like some kind of bindle stiff. Stiff your brain. Bin- bin- what? What? <laughs> one of my favorite lines because it's just so Dean uh, so Ness takes Dean to Ezra Moore uh, she thinks Dean looks like a farmer clown Ness tells her that he is from the future Dean tells her that gas costs four bucks cheese comes in a can and the president is a black guy <laughs> Ezra then correctly assumes that Dean needs new clothes we cut back to Sam and Jody. Jody has shown up with some boxes and tells Sam that he can grab the other 20 in her trunk. She thinks Bobby had a hoarding problem and she could barely open the storage. She also is certain that there is something alive in at least least three three of the the boxes. boxes. (laughs) We cut back to Dean, who has cleaned up quite nicely in the 1940s garb. And then he's, (laughs) he's looking at himself in the mirror and he says, awesome. And Ezra, awesome. You some religious cook? And asked, no, he just likes saying that. (laughs) 
Ezra calls them idiots when she's asking what kind of trouble they're into, which makes Dean laugh because she reminds him of someone. Ness tells Ezra that they are hunting a time traveler. Goes back to Jody and Sam. Jody's doing research and finds the fedora hat guy in a picture from 1968. Sam has her blow up, and she's doing this on like the um, like law enforcement, like people database. Uh, cr- yeah, thank you. I'm like, <laughs> what people search? What is that? <sighs> anyway, so she and they see. That or Sam notices he's wearing a ring, and they do the enhance, enhance, enhance. Right. <laughs> like, oh, oh, yeah. I it's know just that a bunch of pixels, right? <laughs> so Sam says he recognizes the symbol, but it cuts back to Ezra explaining what it is. Um, she's basically the Bobby of the forties, and she's telling us that it is the infinite hourglass, the mark of Kronos. Dean asks her who. And it cuts back to Sam and Jody, and Sam is telling Jody that he is the god of time. He tells her that with the old gods, they used to get all their power from their followers, not so much anymore. Now they're just more pissed and do hands-on work. Jody wants to know why he keeps killing people. Cuts back to Ezra and Dean. Ezra is saying she thinks it's for the time juice. Dean wants to know how he can write him back to 2012. She tells him he can let Kronos use him for gasoline and ride him back, but he probably won't last. Then Jody's asking Sam how they find Dean. Sam says their best stab will be to summon a god. Ness tells Ezra to see if she can research how to kill a god, and she's like, sure, no trouble at all. Ness wants to go to the house that Sam and Dean found Kronos back in, back in his time. He says, let's go kill the bastard, because that... And then Dean, imitating Sean Connery, says, is the Chicago way. Ezra, Chicago way? (laughs) Elliot, who the hell talks like that? (laughs) Dean, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. (laughs) Dean and Ness get to the house. They're outside, and you can hear Dean ask Ness if he has a lockpick. And Ness says, sure, and then just kicks Kicks in the the door. door Ness wants to look around, wondering where Kronos is getting all the money to support himself, or the lettuce. And Dean finds a book of races. He's using the Biff strategy. Kronos is betting on races he already knows the outcome of. For Back to the Future 2. Oh, Disney, aren't you going to tell us what the Biff strategy is? Uh, catch that <laughs> reference. Because uh, Biff uses the almanac to bet on games. Yes. In Back to the Future 2. Well, he tries to, but young Biff is too stupid. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, they notice that Kronos spends a lot of time in 1944, and there's uh, L.Y. next to a lot of the bets. Dean asks what L.Y. is. Ness tells him it's who. Lester Young. He lays bets for a lot of the flunkies in town. So they go and they pick up Lester and put him in the interrogation room. He's not talking, so Dean punches him. Ness then gives <laughs> Dean a look. Dean says he learned it from watching Ness. <laughs> Ness tells Lester that he wants to talk, but his partner just got back from the war knocking in Nazi skulls, and if he doesn't knock a skull in every couple of days, he gets touchy. <laughs> and then Dean, Lester, that a German name? <laughs> I love how he's like... Jumps on board right away. So Lester starts to talk. 
They want to know about Snyder. Lester says that Snyder never missed a bet, but he gave him the heebie-jeebies, so he cut him off. Then Dean has to kind of puff up at Lester to get him to tell him where they would meet. They met at a place called the Early Bird, and he tells them that Snyder is always there. Sam, in his very 70s sideburns <laughs> with Jody, are checking out how to summon a god. Summon a god. At the same time, Sam, Sam says, damn it, right when Jody says, got it. Jody has found that people used to summon Kronos to find out about their futures. Sam has the summoning spell. However, Dean will need to be touching Kronos the exact moment they summon him, or Dean will be stuck in 1944, and Jody and Sam will just have an angry god. So, and this is just me being a little nitpicky, but don't you think if they could find a spell to summon the actual god of time, that they could also find a spell to just summon someone out of the past and bring them back to where they belong? It seems like that should be a thing. seems like it should be pretty easy. (laughs) (laughs) Just just saying. (laughs) But time travel's picky. Yes, it is. And, you know. Yeah, it's also a load of bullshit. (laughs) And that is what they call a plot device. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) Jody pulls a bottle out of the box, reads the note attached that says, Fine, you ass. You win for once. Enjoy. R. Rufus, the family friend. Wonder what they were betting over. And this is kind of a spoiler. I'm not going to tell you guys exactly what it is, but we do get a flashback in season 11, um, and we find out why Rufus why gave, Rufus gave Bobby that, that bottle. bottle. Right. Yeah. So I'm not going to tell you what the bet was for, but you do get to, you find, do get out to find out in like four more uh, seasons. So. <laughs> so like a year and a half. Uh, it's. <laughs> Season 11, episode 16, Safe House, you find out. So keep an eye out for that. (laughs) Or go watch it now if you've already watched it and you don't remember and you're curious. Um, So Jody talks about it being weird. Their lives like a puzzle and you keep finding pieces scattered all over the place. She thinks that they should drink the bottle because that's what he'd want. Sam agrees, saying it would be rude not to. I'm really glad that Sam and Jody had that little moment yeah, together. Yeah, bonding. Without Dean, you know, there to be the overbearing, like, Dean that he is. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really nice. Um, well, because, you know, I think it's fair to Sam, you know, because Dean had a lot of those moments with, like, Cass. Right. And with Bobby, when yeah. Sam was, like, having all his crap. What the hell? So, it's really nice that Sam kind of got, like... His own little moment with somebody. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Too. And a really cool somebody at that. Yes. I mean, not as cool uh. as Cass, but still <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm still not around. I know. I wasn't even going to mention it, but I just think I've been doing a pretty good job with not bitching <laughs> about Cass not being here. <laughs> yes, I applaud you. Thank you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so Dean and Ness find Kronos at the bar. Uh, Ness thinks he looks puny for a god. He takes a swig from a flask. Dean tells him he thought he was the Boy Scout type. Ness tells him that the reason he went after Capone was because he made the best hooch in town. <laughs> Sorry. Dean wants to know who died to turn Ness, to turn Ness into a hunter. But nobody died, you morbid son of a bitch. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Elliot oh, Ness. Me too. <laughs> um, he tells him that there, uh, he got the bug when a bunch of vampires were turning folk in Cleveland. 
Ness says that hunting frees him. He wants to know why Dean does it. Dean tells him... Sorry, sorry. I just want to touch on that because I thought it was very refreshing to find a hunter who didn't turn to hunting because of some horrific tragedy. tragedy. Right. Um, And I thought they did a really good job of of executing it that way because vampires in this universe are really easy to hunt and very easy to kill. Right. So it's not like unbelievable that he would have run into a monster and just not died right away, you know? Yes, I agree. Um, So yeah, I thought it was great and I really appreciate that the writers went down that path instead of telling us some tragic tragic story. Yeah, like we we've caught we've already had <laughs> enough of those. Yes. It's I agree, I agree with you 100%. I it's really refreshing to have a hunter who is just like this badass right who's like wow, this what is the fucked fuck? up, right? <laughs> and then just took it and was like I'm going to do this. Right. Not because like, you know, they out of vengeance yeah. or right, but and I yeah, I I'm totally with you there. I loved it. Um, and he asks Dean why Dean does it. And Dean tells him that he did it because that's what his family did. But they all keep dying. Now he doesn't know why he does much of anything. And here comes and one of my favorite. This is my favorite moment. Mine too. <laughs> Boo-hoo. Do you want to... Do you have it? I do, yeah. Would you like to do it? I've, sure. been, I've been doing a lot of talking. <laughs> Boo-hoo. Cry me a river, you Nancy. Tell me, are all hunters as soft as you in the future? Everybody loses everybody, and then one day, boom, your number's up, but at least you're making a difference. So enjoy it while it lasts, kid, because hunting's the only clarity you're going to find in this life, and that makes you luckier than most. I, like, wanted to stand up and applaud. I was like, thank you. (laughs) Like, Jesus Christ, Dean. (laughs) I was just like, I wish he could have recorded that, you know, like, on his phone, and then played it for Sam, and then played it for themselves or himself whenever one of them needed to hear it exactly because they're you know they both have their moments obviously they do they they come from a very different way of thinking obviously and a very different uh introduction into hunting than alienness it obviously um so but but i just loved that like right I think my the thing I liked about it most was like everybody loses people. Everybody loses family members. Everybody loses people that they love. And I think that Dean harps on that a lot. Um, more, A lot more than most people should. And I think he does it a lot more than Sam does too. I disagree with that, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sam, when it comes to like why they do things, Sam's always a lot more objective than Dean. Sam holds on to people dying just as much as Dean. And then Sam even blames himself, I think. Well, that's more true. Than no, Dean. that's very true. I think they both could learn a lot from what Elliot Ness just said. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but yeah, no, it would be great if they like took that to heart. Just put that as your ringtone or like your alarm <laughs> to wake you up in the morning. <laughs> I like the alarm. That's good. Oh my god! Um, but it's really funny because he's telling this to Dean, and it's like Dean has this moment of recognition, like, "Oh fuck, well, you're, you're right. right." But then I don't think he <laughs> ever like really takes really takes you know, it like, with him and, and does anything with it. It's yeah. like he gets it in that moment, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna change that." And then that's yeah, it. and then we're just back yeah. to the same old Sam and Dean for you know it, however many seasons we're gonna keep going. Yep. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so a very, very pretty blonde exits the, uh, the bar and Elliot's hello nurse. And they both take a very appreciated look 
as she walks past the car. So do you, did you do anything on the hello nurse line? I have honestly no idea where that ever came from. I think it's just an old, uh, phrase. Let me see if it's part of my list. I don't think it is. No. Um, cause the only thing I ever know it from was Animaniacs. No, I remember that, but I think it is just, I, well, no, I know it's like obviously an old, but I was just wondering if you knew like if it had like an origin or whatever, cause it's kind of weird. I remember it from Animaniacs, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the only place I've ever heard it. <laughs> um, it's really funny. When I Google Hello Nurse, the first thing that comes up is Hello Nurse Animaniacs gift. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but I always thought it was just like a... Hello Nurse was a popular cat call used during the heyday of vaudeville. This phrase is also a basis for the wolf whistle used in the United States and other countries to suggest a, a pretty girl. I wonder where it came from, though. Let's but see. That is from a very quick Google search that I just got. Um, um, uh, yeah. So one of many running gags used in many vaudeville shows was the appearance of a voluptuous, suggestively dressed woman wearing a nurse's uniform. Upon her appearance, the main characters in the vaudeville sketch would call out, hello, nurse, much to the audience's delight. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, that's where mine was going. The wolf whistle used in the United States and other countries to suggest that a pretty girl has entered the room. Hello, nurse. That's what I'm going to say when you enter a room. You better not. (laughs) Hello, nurse. Um, Where's my hello, nurse, so I can get back to... Okay, he says, hello, nurse. Uh, They both kind of follow her, and then we see Kronos comes out and follows her. So Ness and Dean uh, get out of the car and go to the trunk and there is a very uh hunter's truck trunk weapon stash in the trunk it's of the really car. Nice. <laughs> and it's very nice. I it's was like very impressed. A really old fashioned <laughs> trunk, but like the weapons are all, you know, organized, organized very and neatly neat. and, and he's got some nice stuff in there. So Yeah. Dean was very clearly impressed with it. Yes. Um so then they go and they follow Kronos and the woman down an alleyway and then we see Um, it's cutting back and forth pretty quickly between Kronos and the woman as he's, like, going to grab her and the guys, uh, Ness and Dean, like, raising up their guns. But when it cuts back to the Kronos and the woman, they start kissing. And Elliot, Ness, and Dean are like, what the hell? Uh, (laughs) They, like, slowly lower their guns and... (laughs) And try and walk away without looking like total creeps. Right. Um, so then we see Ness is talking to some guy in like a farm truck and Dean is in the car behind. <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts too. Uh, Elliot Ness comes up to Dean and says that he, um, you know, that he's, he's found out information about the woman right. and Dean says, talk to me. And Ness looks at him. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so Lilia Taylor, 20 years old, she lives in the house alone. Ness wants Dean to go talk to Ezra, and he's going to stay put and keep an eye on the house. I'm going to stay here and keep my peepers on the Sheik and the Sheba. 
Um, I like this note. Peepers are eyes. <laughs> really? This was the wiki. Peepers are eyes. The 1921 film The Sheik starring Rudolph Valentino was a huge hit, particularly with women, and had a big impact on popular culture. The term, the term sheik came to mean a guy out looking for women, and Sheba was the term used for the object of his desire. So Dean hands off uh, the rifle, and Ezra, er, Ness heads, runs off, and Dean drives off. He goes to meet with Ezra. She's got a stick laying on the desk. We find out it is a thousand-year-old oil olive carved by vestal virgins and dipped in the blood of... You don't want to know. <laughs> she worked very hard to pull it all together. Dean and Ness owe her. Dean wants to know how it works. The pointy end goes in the heart. <laughs> her Cronus will have you for supper. Dean then realizes that he will be stuck in 1944 forever if he kills Cronus. Ezra tells him it's not so bad. There are ways to pass the time. Besides punching Hitler in the throat. And she pulls Dean in for a kiss. For luck. Because, because she's, she's lucky. <laughs> Dean then sees a stack of mail on the counter and remembers a plot point in Back to the Future 3 when Doc sends Marty a letter. <clears throat> so, I just want to interject here and say that they've actually already done Back to the Future 3 in the Phoenix episode. Right. So, just we get it, guys. Catch up, Dean. Like, like Back to the Future. Well, my whole thing is, Dean, you should have already... You yeah. should have thought about it. That's not something new. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we see Ness out stalking, staking out Lila's house. Um, and Chrono shows up. He fights Ness. He gets Ness down. Lila calls out to Ethan, who is Chrono's, and tells him that he can't take out the trash without the trash. He tells her he'll be right in. And during the distraction, Ness was able to run off. So... <laughs> When he starts getting the shit beat out of him, I'm like, wow, this was a really bad plan that they had. Yeah. Well, this is like, I'm going to stay here and stake him out, and you go get, like, the weapon I need to kill him. Right. <laughs> and it's here like we are. It's like a Sam and Dean plan. It is, right? <laughs> um, so then we see Ethan, Carlos, telling Lila to pack a bag. She wants to know something is wrong. He tells her that he wants to show her where he goes. He snaps at her when she asks about the diner and tells her to just pack a bag. She looks a little uncertain, but goes to pack a bag. Dean arrives at the house he and Sam are staying at in 2012 and uses the alias Agent Costner of the Department of Homeland Homeland Termite Invasion (laughs) and is able to get in. He goes up to the room that he knows Sam is staying in. He lies down on a pillow where Sam's sleeping bag is and tries to get a good, like, visual of where Sam would see something. And I like how the old man comes in like, um, everything okay? (laughs) That whole thing with the termite investigator, because he's there at, like, 9 o'clock at night. Right. And he's the termite investigator, and... The dude just lets him in and all the way up into like the master bedroom of the house. Then he walks in and he sees Dean laying on the floor using one of his pillows. And he's like, <laughs> what are you doing? And Dean's like, oh, nothing. And he's just like, okay. And like, well, he tells him that he's going to install something to keep termites away. Right. But it's and, just, it's yeah, just I mean, a little, I don't were know. Were people really that forgiving in the 40s? Right? <laughs> <laughs> um... So anyways, he sees like um, 
molding on like the the foot of the door frame and he he runs over to it he cuts back to jody and sam sam's asleep at the desk from doing his research and, and whatnot and jody wakes him up and makes him go to sleep um in the room as sam lays down and kind of tosses and turns for a second sees his name carved into the molding he goes and he opens it he finds a letter from dean Dean tells Sam that he is working with Ness, yes, that one, and they are going after Kronos. He's banging a chick named Lila Taylor. The date is set at the top of the letter, which is one of the pieces that they needed to get the time. They are going to go talk to somebody that was there. So they go talk to Lila Taylor. Um, she thinks somebody named Michael is in trouble and he shouldn't be reading comic books and they're like no no um <laughs> and jody tells her that they're with the police and want and she gives them a picture of ethan and she wants to know if she, if lila knows her lila says she does that's ethan and the last time she saw him was in november of 1944 the night the clock stopped sam asks what time that was and we find out 11 11:34. every clock in the house stopped she said, Ethan said awful things, then choked one of the policemen that came to arrest him. Sam shows her an ID of Dean, uh, one of Dean's fake IDs, and she tells him that that was the same police officer. Then we cut back to Dean and Ness. Dean has shown up at Lila's house. He can't find Ness anywhere, but he does see the broken gate. He makes his way into the house. Ethan and Dean fight, but not for long. Um, because then Nash shows up with a gun pointed at Lila's stomach. I was really surprised that he was, like, holding her at gunpoint. Right. That was very unexpected. Um, then we cut back and we see Jody and Sam are getting everything ready for their summoning spell. Cutting back to Dean and Ness, uh, they are telling Lila all about the real Ethan. Ethan is arguing that he's not actually a monster, but a god. He doesn't murder. He takes sacrifices. He gets thrown through time until he can come back because he loves Lila. Dean tries to kill Kronos, but Lila gives away Dean's movement by looking behind him. Looking behind Ness. Or, I mean, behind Kronos. So this Kronos is able to turn around and stop Dean, and he starts to choke him. We see Sam and Jody finishing the summoning spell and Kronos starts to glow red. Ness calls Dean an untouchable and throws him the olive stick. Dean lands in the abandoned house coming to the olive branch like skids across the floor. Jody runs to him while Sam tries to punch Kronos. Kronos knocks Sam back and turns to yell at Dean that he's ruined everything. Sam calls for Kronos and then stabs him through the heart with the olive branch. Cronus tells them, you want to know your future? I know your future. It's covered in thick black ooze. It's everywhere. They're everywhere. Enjoy oblivion. The boys look at each other, and then we get credits. Yep. That sounds like a terrible future. <clears throat> right. Okay, so, I'm sorry. There are things I have to say about the time traveling. <laughs> I figured so, you would. <laughs> the whole clock stopping at the same time. I mean, come on. Are they like magic clocks that are like tied to Kronos or like, I, guess I so. mean, like, it's just so stupid. Um, That's a plot it point. Seems like, and if that happens every time he jumps through time, it seems like people would see it happening quite a bit in that town. 
Just saying. I don't think it's because he jumped through time. Do you? Or is it because he died that the clock stopped? Oh, I don't know. Honestly, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about it, him jumping time. I just assumed it was because he died. But he doesn't die till he gets to 2012, so that doesn't make right. sense either. Yeah. Who, so. who knows, Leanna? That's stupid. Fuck. It's stupid. <laughs> um, and, <clears throat> all right. The god of time, the person who is in charge of time, is telling you what the future is with the Leviathan, and you guys are going to prevent that. You're going to stop that. Like, it's like an inevitability at that point, based on, you know. So, okay. <laughs> and people laugh at me when I say this, but I don't think they really think it through, is that my favorite time travel movie is Bill and Ted. That movie is amazing. Um, But they have an incredibly like, simple concept of time travel. Right. Um, that makes it very easy to believe. And that easy is to follow, yeah. basically just that everything has already happened. Right. Um, you know, you can't just go into the future and change things. You can't go into the past and change things because the way the time worked is Bill and Ted had already gone into the past right. and picked up Socrates and picked up Billy and the Kid and picked up all these people and brought them here. That's already part of all of history. Right. Um, and so... There's no, like, changing things. You know what I mean? Right. So I really liked that because it really simplifies time travel. And it's a totally believable form of time travel, like, of the way that time would actually work. So that is what kind of drives me crazy about these episodes. Because, oh, well, now we know the future and we're going to stop it. It's like, I think the god of time has a better idea of what's going to happen in the future than you guys (laughs) do. I'm just saying. Well, if Dean and Sam are anything, they're definitely ones to fight fate and what they've been told is. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I just think we're talking about something a little more complex than that. (laughs) Time travel is always just, I think, kind of really ridiculous and not very easy to deal with. No. (laughs) I just, it's just, ugh. So, I did not get a chance to read about Kronos. I tried to, and the only things I could find were really short, just like Kronos is the god of time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot to to go off of. Well, the episode title plays off the phrase, phrase time after time, which has been used for a number of books, TV shows, and films about time travel. It was also the title of Cindy Lauper's 1984 smash hit song. In case you didn't know. <laughs> uh, the correct title of this episode is Time After Time After Time per the Season 7 DVD set and on-screen title that is shown in the episode. Really? Yeah. On Netflix, it's just Time After Time. Right. But apparently that's incorrect. In an interview with the LA Times, Sarah Gamble uh, said that the, that Kronos was inspired by the 2003 novel The Time Traveler's Wife. Um, it's about a man with a genetic condition that causes him to time travel. Gamble said that the show's writers found a compelling starting point in the notion of time jumping that can't be controlled. Uh, Nicholas Lay, who plays Elliot Ness, worked with Kim Manners when he played Alex Krychek in The X-Files. He was very good Alex Krychek. He was a bad guy. Kind of, but okay, also kind I of a good guy. Okay, familiar. Um, oh, 
damn. He's like older in this though, huh? He was pretty young when he was Crytek. Wasn't he? Yeah, because X-Files came out in 93. Yeah, so he was pretty young. And ran for nine seasons. But Crytek was, was like in the early yeah. half of it, wasn't he? Yep. Okay. Man, I can't believe I didn't recognize him. <laughs> Uh, Sarah Gamble also said of Dean in this episode, for such a practical, down-to-earth macho hunter, he's a tiny bit of a clothes horse. (laughs) (laughs) Sam and Dean drink uh, Margie Kugel. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's a beer from Wisconsin, which is named after the production designer, Jerry Wynek's mom. (laughs) All right. He actually directs an episode, I think, or writes one coming up. Uh, The episode played with the evolution of slang to illustrate the differences between time periods. Dean kept using the word awesome to indicate approval or something was good, whereas in the 1940s, the term was used more literally to describe something that inspired awe. (laughs) Dean also confused Ness when he said, talk to me, to mean tell me what you've learned. The characters from 1944 also use vernacular that is not in use anymore. Jerry and Kraut were terms for Germans during World War II, um, the police officer uses Krautmuncher also to imply Dean is a German spy. Bunny means idiot or fool. Stoolie is a stool pigeon or informant. Snap your cap means to get angry. Uh, when Ness says that he, Dean looks like some kind of bindle stiff, bindle stiff is another word for hobo. Huh. To take a powder means to go away, to get lost. Um, and when Ezra says, what's the rumpus, Elliot? Uh, she means what's going on. And also Ness says lettuce instead of money. And peepers. And peepers Peepers. Yes, peepers are eyes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> did you have any other ones to no. add to that? No. Uh, Sam, uh, recites, the spell that Sam recites to summon Kronos is, oh, Kronos, we beg you foretell the future for us. Right. <laughs> that's what it's translated to okay um <clears throat> i have another bit of an interview with sarah gamble getting dean back would have been a job for the angels in previous seasons but this is one of the reasons it has been a good difficulty for us to not have angels at a dispo- at our disposal this season if you have an angel there to help you when your characters are in trouble then you sometimes can just dial one up this is a perfect example of an episode I think works better because you don't have that kind of dosis, dos ex machina. Inventing their version of the god of time is just one of the countless, countless instances where the supernatural writers have dealt with crafting rules for their universe of the weird and paranormal. It is an endeavor that can be delightfully freeing. One perk is there are always methods for bringing back favorite characters from past episodes even if they're dead but it can be a daunting task as well. You have to keep in mind, as soon as you put a rule in place, that's the rule. I can't tell you the number of times after we've said that demons, uh, after we said that demons were once human, that we turned to Ben Ben Edlund, (laughs) who first suggested that, and we were like, well, thanks a lot for saying demons were once human. (laughs) Because now we're stuck with that, and it completely changes everything. Um... There's no music in this. There is not. No. I think we already talked about our favorite scene. We both had the favorite scene. Yeah. Definitely when Elliot Ness is telling Dina to stop crying. To stop being a crybaby. 
Um, I had a couple of favorite lines. Um, Dean, when he's like, stiff, you're brin- bent. What? Right. <laughs> it's called anime, and it's an art form. And that one? Uh, Sam, are you going to look up more anime, or are you strictly <laughs> into dick now? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, we're finally letting the dick jokes. <laughs> um, oh, there was another one we skipped over. Um, when they first find out what happened like it, it mummified the body basically uh they're leaving the coroner's office and dean says sam so what exactly is this thing this thing some sort of vampire that got too sucky <laughs> that's a good one that's all i have for this yep me too all right guys we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back with the slice girls if this isn't love, then why do I thrill? And what makes my head go round and round while my heart stands still? If I didn't care, would it be the same? Alrighty, the Slice Girls, <laughs> directed by oh Jerry Winick. I knew well, he was coming up. <laughs> um, and the writers are Brad Buckner and Eugene Ross Lemming. So we start in a fancy <laughs> note-looking apartment. What? Sorry, tell the entry or the intro, and I'm going to tell you my note for it. Okay. <laughs> Just made me so laugh. we're looking at a fancy apartment from outside. We see that it's raining outside. Um, we cut inside and we see feet kind of enter. Um, the dude who's already in the apartment thinks it's Barb. He calls out Barb and nobody answers. Um, we cut back to the intruder and he's carrying a knife. That's really all we can see is his hand with a knife. Um, the guy who lives there closes the window after hearing some thunder outside. And you can tell he's pretty nervous. But trying to stay focused on his computer, like he's trying to get some work done. Uh, we do a close-up a close up on his eyes. And then we see him, like, just fly across the room. And smashes into the wall. Uh, starts bleeding everywhere. Uh, he gets slashed up a bunch. Uh, and then the intruder carves a symbol into his chest. And then we cut to the title card. Um, you forgot. They pan out. As we see him lying there okay, with his hands and feet cut off. Oh, yeah. There's that, too. Because <laughs> my note is fucking gross, you guys. <laughs> Title card. <laughs> see? Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was like, okay, wow. And apparently, and I'll... Well, at the end, but... Apparently it was worse. It was more brutal. Oh, Jesus. But they had to tone it down for, <laughs> for television. Television. <clears throat> so we see Sam uh, and Dean in the car. In the, um, not the Impala. They're in a car. Sam is driving. Dean wakes up and starts immediately drinking from a flask. Sam points out that it's Bobby's flasks. And Dean says that he's his... His was leaking, and he thought it would be a good way to honor Bobby. It's his grief therapy. Dean calls a job that they're currently on a wild goose chase. Sam is telling him, four guys murdered in two weeks, hands and feet cut off. Dean didn't read the article. (laughs) 
Dick is dead for now, is a dead end for now, so they gotta stay busy. So, and I don't know why I just noticed this watching this episode. Is it just me or is Sam the one that's just always finding jobs for them? Um, And Dean just apparently wants to sit around and do nothing. Dean, so far, since the beginning of this season, has been the one, like, constantly... I don't think he has... Well, okay, since Bobby died, let me put it that way. Okay. Since Bobby died, for sure, uh, he has not done anything but want to try to figure out a way to uh, kill kill Dick. Dick. Right. Um, And Sam has been the one like, let's go do this, let's go do that. Okay. Is that like a normal thing, or is that just this season? That's not normal. It's not? Okay. I don't know why I thought it was. Well, no, because, you know, like, in past seasons, we we always talked about how it would be funny because one of them would find a job and the other one would be like, I don't think that's oh, a job. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the next episode, the other one would be like, oh, hey, I, I got found this. a job. And like, that doesn't that's sound a... like our thing. Right. And like, come on, you guys. No, you're right. You yeah, know, they're constantly <laughs> taking turns finding each other jobs. But in this season, since Bobby died. It's mostly been Sam. It's all Sam because right. Dean, all he cares about, and it's been kind of like a focus point on Dean, like, oh my God, Dean, stop. Right. <laughs> like, just take a fucking break. But yeah, Dean only cares about anything Frank Devereaux has to say and anything he can find about Dick. Right. Okay. And Sam's the one who's like, we need to like do other things. Right. <laughs> um, but... Dean is agreeing with Sam right now because they're kind of saying the same thing, to, you know, because he's like, Dick's a dead end right now. Yes, right. we gotta stay busy. Right. Um, so they go and they check out the body of the latest victim. Dean tells uh, the M.E. that the hours of their job does suck because he was like, well, you guys are working late. But they have a great benefits package. The M.E. seems very pleased with that. Dean tells him 10% copay on all drugs. This impresses the Emmy, but he figures it's just on generics. And Dean's like, no, brands are cool, too. And Sam's like, are we done? Can we move on? I love that talk I know about you. the medication or the prescription drugs. Um, and I'm also happy to say that I don't have to pay 10%. Yeah. I actually have a very low copay compared to that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a better benefits package than, than the FBI. Dean Winchester. <laughs> This was in 2012, so maybe it's gotten better. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they find out the hands and feet were cut off of this guy uh, while he was still alive, just like the others. Uh, It's like they wanted him to suffer. Same symbol was used as well. Uh, DNA was left. Um, One victim actually bit the attacker. But the samples are being rejected for no known genetic markers. And... Dean is like, nobody mat- nobody in the system matches. And the guy's like, it doesn't match anything human. Um, so when they're leaving, Dean says, I'll admit it could be in the general vicinity of the ballpark of our kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, didn't match anything human usually seals the deal for me. <laughs> Sam has never seen the symbol before and wants to go grab a bite to eat, then head to the hotel for research. I love this. Dean thinks that is a great idea, Brilliant idea. But he wants to go undercover and mingle with the locals. To see what bubbles to the surface. Right. <laughs> Sam's like, you want to go to the bar. Wow, if you want to oversimplify it. I love that line so <laughs> much. Too. 
the smile Sam gives as Dean walks away, I think, is it's so, so adorable. Yeah, it it's really so, is. God damn it. <laughs> He's being himself. <laughs> so we see Dean mingling at the bar. There is a girl retelling the date from hell, dinner and a movie. The movie was Human Centipede. She's not ready to settle down. And then we start getting a lot of these really super close shots of like their eyes, eyes and, and their mouth. I loved it. And I was like, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> and they were having like a really good connection, this girl and Dean. And they yes. were clearly very into each other. And the shots were making it even more intimate. Yes. And it was just a really neat little scene. It was. I liked it a lot. It made me really happy for Dean. Yeah. To actually just be out and like doing Being stuff he Dean. normally used yeah, to do. Like we right, have not exactly. seen Dean do this in a very, in a very long, time. long time. Yeah. So I was very, very happy for him. Um, so he tells her that he's an investment banker, banker after she asks, or after she tells him that she likes his suit. Um, the hours are dick, but he <laughs> makes really good money. And then we get another close-up of her eyes, and I wrote, she's wearing contacts. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's my note. <laughs> really? <laughs> All right, Shannon. I mean, you could, that's how close they are on this girl's eyes. I was like, oh, yep. Contacts. I did not notice. <laughs> <laughs> so he says he's had a good year, and she cheers, uh, she toasts him and wishes him many more. And he says, arigatou. And she's like, oh, you speak Japanese. And I'm like, you know Japanese, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is all impressing everybody. Which, that means thank you in Japanese. If you don't know, but I find that hard to believe. I think most people know what arigato means. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she asked Dean if he would like to move the conversation elsewhere, which obviously he does. And they uh, passionately walk into her house <laughs> While uh, ACDC is playing. Um, and there's these really great cuts. Very, very quick cuts. Between uh, Sam. Between Dean and uh, this woman, Lydia is her name. Lydia. And between another guy who we see um, open his door. Say, hey, how can I help you? And then gets totally... Uh, forced thrown Flown, back right. into his wall and blood just burst Bursting out of his everywhere. body. Basically like what we saw in the opening scene. Right, except it's cutting between two people about to have sex and this, and this other yeah. guy. It was really, I like, because I love it because me and you were like, oh, look, Dean gets to like do what he normally does and we're all happy and then they just totally go and fuck with you. Oh, well, yeah, but yeah. while Dean's doing this, someone's over here dying a brutal death. And exactly. So. Thanks, writers, for and fucking they, with the fans. They cut it so quickly. There's a scene where she's, or a moment where she like pushes Dean against the wall, and as he flies back, it cuts to the guy flying, flying back, back into the yeah. wall and just having blood thrown from his body. It was very well timed. Yeah. So, Dean and Lydia have sex, and you can tell Dean really liked it at the end. He's like, Whew. Uh, the next day, Dean is hungover, but he does recommend the Caldwell room. He had a great <laughs> night. Uh, wants to know if Sam figured out the symbol. Sam says that they will need an expert. Dean says that their expert is dead. Our <laughs> expert is dead! Jeez, Dean. Oh. Don't think... Okay, Dean. Okay. 
you know, you're having a hard time with this, but you are going to have to talk to somebody <laughs> right. about, you know, about higher things, level things right. from time to time. Um, so they walk into the house of the guy who we got to see uh, get murdered the night before. And Dean says that the decor is very early slaughterhouse. The guys meet uh, Charlene Penn. She's the lead on the case. Uh, we get more of the same. No forced entry. Thrown across the rooms. Hand, hands and feet cut off. And the same symbol carved into the chest. We find out all of the, the victims are 30-something. Fairly good looking and fairly successful. Sam sees a dude in the hall and walks over to talk to him while Dean walks off with the Emmy. So, because when he's talking with the Emmy, this is one of my favorite lines. This is just so ridiculous. Because he's telling him what happened, you know, with the hole in his ar- hands and legs got, or his arms and legs got, whatever. His hands and his feet got cut off. <laughs> uh, he's like, whoever the killer is, the guy's a monster. And I was like, but I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, really? That's the joke we're going to make? I loved it. <laughs> I did. It was so stupid. <laughs> um, oh, so the guy that... Um, so the guy who we saw die, his name is Jerry. And the guy in the hallway was one of Jerry's friends. He lived two doors down. And he tells Sam that he was the nicest guy he's ever known. But that um, his wife was probably not too happy with him because he recently just cheated on her. So Sam is telling Dean this as they're walking out, but they both do not think that it's the wife. Uh, Dean is fumbling through his pockets. And he says, shoot, I left Bobby's flask, Bobby's flask over at Lydia's. Lydia? My workout partner from last night. <laughs> now I've got to go get it. So, not only do you know your name, her name, you're going to actually call her? <laughs> Bite me. And you can tell that Sam is very amused. Yes. And very happy for his brother. So, he calls Lydia. She seems very annoyed. And she's very short with him. Seems like something else is going on. Sam is looking at him expectantly. And Dean tells him that she's real busy. <laughs> Sam gives him a, a knowing little nod and smile and walks away. I love it. <laughs> So it cuts back to Lydia, and it pans out, and she's pregnant. Like, really pregnant. <laughs> like, she's due any second pregnant. Yes. Like, what the fuck? Cuts to the next scene, and Lydia is giving birth, surrounded by a bunch of other ladies and some candles. Mm-hmm. The woman who seems to be in charge tells Lydia that they are giving them a great honor, <coughs> and they will call her Emma. What in the fuck? Yeah. So the guys go talk to a professor at the Department of Anthropology. The professor finds the symbol they've brought to them fascinating. And Dean's like, if you can get past the part where it was carved onto a body. (laughs) Sam wants to know if Morrison, the professor, can help them. He says maybe if the FBI is offering suitable pay. And Sam tells him that... He will get the respect of, of a grateful, grateful nation. Of a grateful nation. Oh my god. And Dean tells him in a good word with the IRS. <laughs> Morrison is like, okay. <laughs> he tells them um, he, he can get them information, but they'll need to do research first. Sam says, all right, great. We'll see you tomorrow. And the guy's <laughs> like, tomorrow? I've spent whole sabbaticals on projects like this. Dean reminds him that they have a serial killer on their hands. 
Morrison tells him that his housekeeper needs her green card. I love the professor. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I just, he's like so unabashed. Like, yeah, I know, but are you going to pay me? And if you're not going to pay me, can you get her her green card, please? Can you help me out in some other way? I loved it. So outside, Dean wants to know where Sam found the guy. He's supposed to be, Sam tells him he's supposed to be at the top of his field. Sam is clearly not impressed with him and obviously severely missing Bobby. Sam notes the agitation is from not being able to call Bobby. Dean agrees with this and is also still irritated that Lydia has not called back. Sam starts to poke fun that a girl is dumping Dean the next morning instead of the other way around. He thinks Sam is having too much fun with that. Dean is like, fuck it, I'm just going to go get it. And I'm like, really? (laughs) That's what you're going to do? You're just going to show up at our house? It's a little stalkery. Which he does. He does. And she's like, hey, Don. He's (laughs) Dean. Anyway, I left the flask over here the other night. Yes, I found it. It was so beat up and old, I almost tossed it. Well, the guy it belonged to was beat up and old too, but it was very close with him and I'd really hate to lose it. So he goes in as she walks in her house and he sees that she has a daughter. Lydia says that there's probably... Because he's like, why didn't you tell me? And she's like, there's probably a whole lot of things we didn't need right. to tell each other last <laughs> night. Uh, we find out... Or Dean finds out her name is Emma. It's her first child. Um, and Jean tells her, they grow like weeds. And she's like, you have no idea. <laughs> Which seems pretty accurate since this baby was just born. And yeah. she's already like almost two. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sam calls and wants to know where Dean is, saying that it's a flask, not the Holy Grail. Dean says he's engaging in some social skills. Sam is wanting Dean to get back as they are due at the crime lab. At this point, Dean overhears Emma asking Lydia who Dean is, which surprises Dean, and he hangs up on Sam. It surprised me a bit, too. Yeah, I was like, what the (laughs) fuck? This is a weird-ass monster, right? (laughs) So Sam heads to the morgue by himself. Penn, Charlene Penn, wants to know why the FBI are involved. The ME saves Sam, pointing out that it's probably due to being a cold case from across state lines. Penn tells Sam to wrap it up because they have other cases they're working on, and she leaves. Sam and the ME share a look, and the ME tells him that you get used to her. Sam tells Emmy that he did not bring the cold case files and wants to know if he has a copy, which he does. While the Emmy is grabbing the file, Sam notices that one of the evidence bags is tagged from the cobalt room. He then notices a pattern. A couple of the victims were picked up by a hot girl. A couple days later, they were dead, all from the cobalt room. Apparently, the same thing happened in Chicago, which is the cold case he's looking at. All of the men were dead after some fling. So then we see... I do want to point out that the medical examiner is, like, really good at these investigations. He is. <laughs> I was quite impressed. I'm like, man, Very you guys should smart. try and stay in touch with this guy. No kidding. Like, maybe have this guy be your new Bobby. <laughs> right? Because he was really on top of this. He's at least a really good investigator. Right. Really. He is able to put pieces together pretty well. Um, so we see the women who were... Uh, assisting Lydia in the birthing process have shown up at her house. Uh, she says Emma is ready and they and they get invited in. 
Dean is sitting outside the house in the car, staking staking it out, and Sam calls him, upset that he didn't show up. Dean tells him he's been sitting outside of Lydia, which Sam immediately starts laughing at him, saying that he has a problem. <laughs> Dean tells him some strange shit has been happening. Uh, he just does, doesn't know yet. And Sam's like, or you're just obsessed. And he's like, no, I'm serious. Something weird is going on. Um, Sam tells Dean what he learned about the cold cases in Chicago and Miami. Sam tells him that the bar in this town is a cobalt room, so he dodged a bullet. At this point, Dean sees the women leaving Lydia, so he hangs up on Sam again. I just think Dean probably should have mentioned to Sam what exactly was going on with Lydia. You know, I mean, sharing information really helps you guys solve stuff. Right. I think maybe just devil's advocate, he's not 100% sure what he's saying yet. That's true. And he's like... So I'm pretty sure I heard this baby talk. <laughs> but I'm going to wait and see. <laughs> and now, you know, and he didn't even know that what Emma was happening had next. grown right. up yet. Right, When exactly. she walks out until he sees her walk out and he hangs up on Sam. So, and as we find out in a few minutes, Sam makes fun of him for thinking a baby talk. So right. maybe that's why he didn't want to say anything right away until he had a little bit more information. But anyways... So we see that Emma has grown significantly since we just saw her. She's now like five or six years old. Uh, Lydia gives Emma a necklace and tells her to make them proud. Dean then follows the ladies uh, who took Emma. He sees them go into a building through an alleyway. But back at the hotel, uh, we can see him and Sam are walking into the hotel. We can see that he's been telling Sam what's going on. And Sam is not buying that there's anything weird going on. Thinks Lydia could just possibly have another kid. And that Emma uh, never talked. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Dean is convinced that there is no non-weird explanation for all of it. (laughs) At this point, Morrison calls. Um, Then, we, before we get to hear anything from that, it cuts over to the woman. Uh, Her name is Madeline, by the way. The short black bob hair. The short black bob hair. Yeah. (laughs) She's telling Emma and other girls Emma's age that they have joined an exceptional family. She says, on this special night, you join an exceptional family. You are ready to take your places alongside us and learn our traditions. This is a tribute to the one who created and protects us. Then we see them like picking up this really gross piece of meat or something. It's something. Very unappetizing. Yes. We hunt for her. We kill for her. And now we consume that kill is... A symbol of unity with those who have completed their blood missions and furthered the life of the tribe. And I was like, gross. What are we eating? (laughs) It sounds like they're eating people. Right, exactly. (laughs) And Emma clearly is feeling the same because she's just holding her peace. Like, what What? the fuck? Yeah, that's what I was with Emma on that one. Madeline tells her she needs to eat. She listens, eats it, and... Chases it down with a nice cold glass of milk. (laughs) So the guys go back to meet with Morrison uh, to find out about the symbol. He talks about how other scholars would have crumbled and it was no day at the beach. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like, okay, and? And and he's doing this whole presentation in his classroom. (laughs) (laughs) That was really great. It's an age, it's the symbol's ancient, regional. A variation of symbols associated with the Greek Pantheon, uh, the temple of the goddess Harmonia. 
The coupling of Harmonia and Ares, the god of war, <coughs> produced the Amazons. Dean asks if it's like Wonder Woman, which I thought it was pretty funny because that's pretty much what the new Wonder Woman movie was right. like. <laughs> I was like, yes, Dean, exactly like that. Morrison tells him, no, they did exist in comic books, but just silly perversions of them. The symbol, he believes, originated with the Amazon. All female tribes, no need for men other than procreation. After they were impregnated, they would kill the male, cutting off certain body parts. Did you have anything to add to that scene before we move on? No, go for it. Um, So Penn is now, we see Penn talking to Madeline over the phone, and she... She's onto the guy. She knows that they're hunters uh, and that they are being hunted. Um, The picture that they have for Sam when the Leviathans went all doppelganger killing spree is really bad. Yeah. Because Penn's looking at, like, you know, their wanted photos or whatever. Or their mugshots. And it's, like, a younger picture of Sam and Dean. But the one of Sam, I was like, that's a really bad photo. It was really bad. (laughs) Um, Penn calls them thugs, but isn't worried. Says they've dealt with hunters like them before. Madeline says that one is already scheduled to be taken care of. They will just add the other to the agenda. We see Dean going through Bobby's boxes, looking for a, a Grecian encyclopedia of weird. Sam has found more info on the Amazons that the professor didn't even mention. Dean points out that it is because he doesn't believe in it, which is a handicap when you're trying to deal with it. Fair point, but they still need an expert, I think, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, At least it points them in the right direction. Exactly. So there was a big war. The Amazon population was decimated. They made a bargain with Harmonia to replenish their ranks and make them stronger. But they were made into monsters. Sam is not sure if they can be killed like humans or if there's a special trick. (coughs) Sam looks a little bit worried about the next piece of info he's about to tell Dean. Goes on to tell him that they reproduce quickly, giving birth mere 36 hours after having sex. The babies grow up really fast and then slow to normal growth when they reach a certain age. Mating season is every two years when the girls are at the right age, which makes it very easy to create an army. I also think at this point, Sam owes Dean an apology for not (laughs) believing him that the baby was talking. (laughs) I just love how the look that Sam gives him before he starts reading (laughs) the rest of this information. He's just like, oh, uh, and so anyway, (laughs) I just because at first I thought he was like upset with Dean for being snarky about Morrison not believing. Right. right. And I'm like, come on, Sam, he has a point. I mean, yes, you still need to talk to an expert, but right. that is valid. It is. Like, yeah, it totally is. <laughs> you will miss some information. But then he, he goes on that and I was like, oh, that's why you gave him that look. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. <laughs> Dean points out that it is is exactly what happened with him and Lydia. Sam is given, then starts to give Dean shit about not being safe on a one-night stand. I mean, they're being really subtle about it, but it's very easy Basically, to pick up right. what about. And Dean's like, no, I'm not an idiot. He's like, accidents do happen, not all the time. But then, and then you can see Dean, like, wander off in his mind. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you know, like, snapping out of it. Um, he, he snaps out of it, dropping the subject, saying he doesn't want to talk about it. We cut back to... Oh, but then there was oh. a... 
line after that where Sam says, but if it happened, and Dean says, I know, I got to hang on to my hands and my feet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So we cut back over to the girls, um, the Amazons, I guess we can call them now. (laughs) And they have grown up even more. Yes. Uh, Now they're definitely like young teenagers. And they are being branded with the same symbol that they carve into men's chests. They're being branded on their wrists. And it appears that they are not allowed to voice their pain. Have you ever been branded? Mm, Yes. No, 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 no. no. I branded Brandon. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. I've never been branded. No, it was, it smelled terrible. Oh, it smells horrible. When I went and had my ears gauged, because when I got my ears done, I was trying to stretch them and I lost the gauge um, at a concert, at the Nerf Herder concert. And it got infected somehow. And and it was just like a two or a four, I can't remember. It was a pretty small gauge. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so I couldn't stretch it anymore because of the scar tissue. Right. So I decided that I was just going to have them, um, oh my God, I can't remember what the fuck it's called now. Basically, they just pop the hole out in your ear. So it's automatically gauged up. Okay. So I just had them gauge it at four. (coughs) Right. So basically, they just cut a hole in my earlobes for the four gauge and it took away all that scar tissue and I was able to start stretching again. Anyway, while I was in there getting that done, it was at Hardware on Carlisle Central. Uh-huh. And they were just, they had started doing all the branding stuff on people. Uh-huh. And there was a guy in there getting his back done, his whole back with this oh. huge branded piece. It, it smelled like a fucking barbecue, basically. Yeah, it was really, it, but it was like a gross smelling barbecue. Right, no, I've smelled it, was it just before. Like burning it smelled meat. disgusting. And I was just yeah. like, that smells kind of gross. Yeah. And you guys have to deal with that all day? Yeah. But yeah, when I was dating Brandon, or maybe, we probably weren't even dating at the time, because we hung out for years and years, and we dated for like two weeks, but he was a little, <laughs> you know, skinhead, and I was a little punk rocker, and he wanted this like band symbol branded into his forearm, uh-huh. and so like we cut oh my God. a piece from a, a wire hanger, <laughs> oh, because no. the, the branding was just like a like a 12 point. Right. Like, not a star, but it just had the arrows. There right. Was like, 12 points of it. And it said, like, skinhead or some bullshit, like, around this symbol. Oh, Jesus Christ. And uh, so, basically, I got, like, needle nose pliers and a lighter and this little cut piece of wire hanger. And I'd, like, heat up the bar and then stick it on. And then I did that, you know, for each arrow or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it looked terrible. Oh, I'm sure it did. <laughs> But it was, you know, he thought he was so cool. And I was like, okay, whatever. You have that the rest of your life, I guess. Uh, enjoy. Fun with that. Because, <laughs> yeah. But no, I have never been branded. Do you want to get branded? No. No? No. Especially after I smelled it. I was yeah. like, fuck that. Yeah. Plus, like, I've been burned before many right. times. Even when I was branding Brandon. You burned yourself. I burned myself. Yeah. And I think burns are just the worst because they keep... Burning, you know, they'll right. keep going down each depth of layer of your skin. Yeah, and unless you have, you know, constant cold water being run over it, right, it continues to hurt. So I can't imagine right. having like an actual brand done and just for days waiting for yeah, that pain like, to just yeah. go away. Oh, yeah, no. And then, like, I'm like, I don't even think it looks that great when it's done. 
It depends. Like, I think it, I think people try and get branded with things that aren't something you would normally brand. You know, right. like, people try to do things a little too elaborate and artistic Exactly. With it. And it looks like shit. I'm like, you need to have yeah. something extremely simple. Right. Otherwise, it's going to get muddled. Well, I mean, it's going to have to be, like, tribal, you know? You right. can't have, like, some crazy elaborate painting on your whole bag. Right. Like... The guy who had his whole back, it was like a like an um, ivy leaf kind of thing, like mm-hmm. crawling up his back. So it didn't look bad. I mean, you could totally tell what it was supposed to be. Right. And it actually looked pretty good. But I was just like, I just don't like the way it looks. Right. Personally. Yeah. But it, it I guess it's better than the scarification stuff. Because I watched that one time. Oh, my God. No. You're literally just getting cut into over and right. over and over in the same spot with a scalpel. Right. To create no. the scar. That's disgusting. Ew. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I well, don't understand it. I'm like, uh, just get a fucking tattoo. Tattoo, right? <laughs> what the hell? But teach their own, you know, whatever. Maybe they don't like tattoos. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, where were we? Branding. Um, <laughs> so they branded the girls and they were not expressing their pain like you were saying. Right. Um, okay. We go back to the guys. They're going through Bobby's file, um, filing system and having a very hard go of it. (laughs) Sam says it makes sense why the Amazons want to hook up with decent looking successful men. So why Dean? I love Dean. (laughs) Well, she may or may not have thought I was a rich investment banker. And And then the the looks looks (laughs) gives him. Oh my god, I love it. Which is funny, but I'm like, come on, you guys always right. lie. Exactly. Like, what's the big deal? <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's different things to lie about. Well, yeah. <laughs> so where did... No, never mind. <laughs> Go All ahead. right. Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, the papers that Dean was looking at a moment before have moved, and Dean notices, and he tells Sam that the papers moved by themselves. Sam pulls out an EMF reader. It redlines next to Dean, and then it redlines next to the hunter's wall, and then it redlines next to the window. And Sam's like, oh, open window, power lines. The breeze must have moved the papers. We're next to power lines. And I'm like, why are you suddenly scully? Right. What the fuck? (laughs) Immediately, because... For those of you who don't know, who haven't watched X-Files, you should, because it's amazing. But Mulder and Scully are the partners, the actual FBI partners. Right. And um, Mulder is the one who believes 100% that aliens exist and that there's supernatural shit in the world. Right. And Scully is always like, no, there's right. some scientific reason. And then even and there's, I'm sure you've seen memes, even if you haven't seen X-Files, that even after Scully has seen weird shit, she's still the next day just like, no, there's probably a way to explain explain <laughs> it. You saw a fucking UFO. Like, you literally saw it. And you, okay. All right. All right. And that's immediately what I thought when Sam was doing this. Like, yeah. my knee-jerk reaction was like, why are you being Scully? <laughs> like, you know this shit exists. Why is it so bizarre? But then we get into more... Uh, explanation that because Dean holds up the empty 
Bobby flask. And right. he's like, it could be him. And Sam's like, I know you think it's him, but we burned him. It's not going to happen. And Dean's like, why not? And Sam's like, because we want it to. Yeah. And, and then they like, get into Aw. this like little fight. And I was just like, maybe that's why you're being a scully. Okay. Right. I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like, that's my favorite moment in the episode. Yeah. Because it's like, first of all, it's like, ooh, is it Bobby? Right. Because that's kind of cool. Right. Um, and then it's also this really cool moment that the brothers have of like, they both really care, but... It's just their different ways of expressing. Exactly. And like, Sam's trying to be very logical about it. And, and like, not get sucked up in this whole, maybe it's Bobby. And he's... False he's, kind of He's hope. just automatically assuming that that's what Dean is doing because it's Dean's way of not quite letting go yet. Right. And so they have this little kind of quick fight and I just I don't know I just really like that it is it's a good moment. scene um <clears throat> so Sam is gonna go meet with Morrison to translate the page that was presented to Dean since it's in Greek I love Dean he's like you know who speaks Greek or who can read Greek Bobby yeah <laughs> <laughs> holds his finger up um, but anyway, so Sam leaves with the page to go uh, speak with Morrison to get it translated. He tells Dean to stay and lock the door and don't go anywhere. And I'm like, why, why don't you would go you together? together? Right. That's exactly what my note is. I'm like, why would you leave Dean alone in a locked room? Like, I mean, we're talking about people who have thrown grown men across rooms. Exactly. And you're going to just leave Dean and behind a locked door? Brutally murder protect them. him? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Lock the that door was and don't done. let anybody in. And I'm like, why doesn't he just go with you? Can you guys not go together for some reason? Right. <laughs> Can you at least make up some fucking excuse, writers? Right. Why can't he go? <laughs> right? <laughs> Stupid. Anyways. So, um... Sam meets up with Morrison, who says he's not getting paid enough for this. Sam <laughs> says that they will remove the wiretap. <laughs> Someone knocks on the hotel door. Of course. Of course. It's Emma. She tells Dean that she needs help. He's the only one who can help her because he's her father. She knows where he is because they have been watching him ever since Lydia got pregnant. She, he asks how she got out, if they've been watching <laughs> So, I'm sorry, I forgot to jump in with my note here because she knocks and Dean hears the knock and he walks over to the door and instead of just opening the door, he undoes the chain lock and then opens the door. I'm like, Dean. Well, he looks to the peephole first. Oh, does he? Because he looks and he goes. And but he still shouldn't undo the chain lock. Well, yeah, no, he could have Dean, opened the door my, without like, the chain. Do you understand like, the point of a chain lock? Like, Jesus Christ. Well, I think it's because, and I, I still agree with you. He should have kept it. But I think it's because he tells her in a little while, he says he was expecting her mother. So I think maybe oh, okay. when she shows up, he was like, I don't think she's here to kill me. Right. I still think that was a little... I agree. <laughs> That's the only reason I can think of was why he would do that. Right. Was, yeah. You know, aside from moving the plot along. Right. <laughs> because he was, you know, he thought the mom was going to be the one killing him. Right. So basically, she tells him that she escaped after lights out because um, she wants to get out because they don't question what they want you to do. And it's very terrible things that they want you to do. They tortured her so she can endure pain and be strong like them, showing him the brand. Um, But she doesn't want to be like them. And she's crying at this point. So he lets her in. She wants Dean's help to get away from them. 
Um, she tells Dean she knows he doesn't want her. He's like, okay, <coughs> let's not go there. Right. Like, you want, you've you got to understand this is not a normal situation. Right. And she's like, actually, I don't. I wasn't even alive three days ago. Which, again, that's a good point. Right. She said her mother threw her into this and her father, well... <laughs> Dean's her father. <laughs> we cut over to Morrison. Um, he finds the page very fascinating. He hasn't even read it yet. He just is impressed with the paper itself. <laughs> Morrison asks Sam where he got it. Sam, uh, uh, crazy drunk old genius. Yeah, they always have the good stuff. <laughs> it's Greek. Sam's like, I know. I know. <laughs> he states the same, same lore, yada, yada, except the women don't do the killing. The daughters do as an initiation. Sam runs out. Emma is asking if Dean believes her. Then it cuts back to Sam, who gets stopped by Penn. Uh, she's, I don't even remember what she says to him, but she ends up throwing him on the ground. Um, and her, we see her face change ever, so it like kind of turns yellow and her eyes get like red or Brown, red. kind of red, yeah. And she goes to jump on him, or she has, she's pulled out the knife and she goes to um, presumably brutally slaughter him. But he turns around and shoots her in the chest. Yes. Which seems to work. Yeah, I was pretty impressed. Um, so then uh, we cut back to Dean, who is now looking for food or drink for Emma in the fridge. We see that she's pulled out her knife uh, and is this approaching him. This whole time, him. I'm like, Dean, why are you falling for this? Like, why are you being so nice? And I'm going to help you. And I'm like getting so frustrated right. with him. I'm like, Dean. <sighs> I was like, this. There's got to be something going on. Like, <laughs> this can't. We, Dean would never We do can't this. have Dean lose his hands and feet right now. That's, this is not... So Come on, Dean. And then Dean turns around with his gun trained on Emma and basically says that he knew that she was trying to just talk him up and catch him off guard. He says she did surprise him a little because he was expecting the mom. Um, and while he's talking to Emma, Sam finally arrives. But Sam doesn't go in right away and he, wa- he kind of eavesdrops and watches what's happening between Emma and Dean. Um, Dean is telling Emma that she hasn't killed anyone yet, so she can just go and he won't go after her. She doesn't believe him, and at this point, Sam breaks in. Emma then turns to Dean and pleads with him not to let Sam kill her. Dean doesn't move. Sam then shoots Emma. Both Sam and Dean run to the house where they knew the girls were staying, and it's totally emptied out. Back in the car, Sam is driving, and he's clearly very, very pissed. He's mad that Dean choked, like he did with Amy, saying that Dean was going to let Emma walk. And what does he always say? Always kill the monster. Always kill the monster. Dean says he wasn't really going to let her walk. Um, Sam tells Dean that she wasn't really his. Right. And Dean's like, well, she was. Actually, she was just really fast. (laughs) She was just a really fast-growing monster. Sam says that Bobby was right, that Dean's head isn't in it. Dean takes offense and points out that Sam isn't any better. You're just as screwed up as I am. You're You're just just bigger. bigger. (laughs) (laughs) What? I don't know. Dean, the thing is, tonight it almost got you killed. Now, I don't care how you deal. I really, really don't. But just don't. Don't get killed. I'll do what I can. 
And then he says something like, what does that mean? And he's like, I mean, I'm going to try. <laughs> and then yeah. you get credits. Yeah. So, um... See, I should have written it down, but I didn't. Because Dean does say something about Cass in that conversation. And that's like the first time they've said Cass this whole season. I don't think Dean says anything. Because I, I think Sam says... I, and I think all he says is ever since Cass died and then after oh, you're Bobby... Right. Yeah. But either way, that's you like You just the heard first... his name and you're like, right. what? That's <laughs> <laughs> like the first time they've said his name the whole fucking season. Right. It's like, holy shit. They talked about Cass, but nothing really was said. But you know, I think I do want to point that saying that ever since Cass died, and yeah, I think that's all it is, and a little name drop, right? But I noticed it. Importance. (laughs) I I just noticed it. Of course you would. (laughs) Um. So the episode title plays off of the 2009 movie Splice. And the 1990s UK girl pop band, the Spice Girls. Splice was a tale of two scientists who mix human DNA with animal to create a hybrid which matures rapidly. The first murder scene in the teaser was far more graphic but had to be edited to comply with broadcast standards. This episode was directed by first-time director, supernatural production designer, Jerry Wynick. Alexia Fast, who plays Emma, previous previously appeared six years ago in season one episode 15 the benders as missy bender oh wow right that's crazy she's grown up (laughs) quite a bit (laughs) i would not have recognized her either uh it was during the filming of this episode and the ubc chemistry building standing in for the anthropology department on the first of december 2011 that jared and jensen filmed their pantless encouragement to fans to keep voting in the people's choice awards they were pantless yep all right sarah canning who plays lydia also played jenna summers in another cw television series the vampire diaries the organ chart on the wall behind sam at the crime lab is upside down all right (laughs) Um, body count in this is four. Oh, I forgot to say what the body count in the last one was. Time after time. I think. I don't know. I, I didn't just ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, my favorite song I picked in this was Worlds Collide because it's by Loud and Swain. Yes, it's a good song. I went with ACDC. Yeah. Because I like ACDC. I almost picked ACDC and then I was like, "Who? what was the song from the band? And I went and I looked it up. And I was right. like, oh my god. <laughs> it's Loud and Swain. <laughs> I have to pick yeah. them. Um, yeah. If you guys don't know, Rob Benedict, who played Chuck, uh, he front, he's the front man for the band Loud and Swain. Yes. And they're really good. And I love watching him perform. Yes. He's, he's so, adorable. so adorable. He just loves his audience so much. Um, so my favorite moment was the one where Dean and Sam were freaking about Bobby. And I also really liked the end when Sam's like, don't get yourself killed. And, you know, saying that right. he screwed up and all that stuff. Right. I, my favorite moment was their first visit with the professor. I don't know why I really liked the professor. Yeah. He made me laugh. Um, and then my favorite line was that you're just as screwed up as I am. You're just bigger. Mine too. <laughs> That's such a good line. It is. 
I just, I just love those those very specific like bean lines. Yes, you know, like accidents don't happen, happen accidentally. accidentally. <laughs> and just like you're just bigger. I don't know. It's just so. And mean. even Sam's like, "What?" And he's like, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. So two good episodes. Two good episodes. Um, if you guys aren't there already, please check out the website thewaywardfans.com you can see all of our podcasts there and you can uh, contact us there it it sends us an email directly if you click on the contact us link and we love getting them yes we do they're so much fun to read and hear from you guys what you like or dislike about our show or correct us if we're wrong about what cars people are driving (laughs) (laughs) um or if you want to just email us directly, you can. The email address is waywardfans at gmail.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at waywardfans underscore SP and you'll get updates about all of our new uh, podcast episodes and other things that we find online. The same for Facebook, facebook.com slash waywardfans. Updates there and just you know, silly little memes and shit. It's fun. It is. Thanks for listening, you guys. Bye, guys. Talk to you.